0: to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you, and enjoy. Grab your Bible and go to 2 Kings chapter 4. One of the goals for 2024 that we're going to have is that we Baptists are going to learn how to clap after a good song, okay? Because good gracious, we were like, we didn't know what to do. What do I do with these two things, you know? It's... We're going to learn to clap, all right? And we need all of Jesus' help that we can get. 2 Kings, can you all laugh with me this morning? You all all right with that? 2 Kings chapter 4, 1 through 7. This morning, this morning, here's what we're here to do. Uh, We are here to kind of unveil what we feel like God is doing in uh, this little season of our church for 2024. Now, um, I'm going to give somebody a hug if you can remember our theme for 2023. Is there anybody in here? Just shout it out if you remember it. There's like four of you and the rest of you are going... Outside these walls was our theme for 2023. Um, and, and we really did our best to get outside these walls in 2023. We uh, spent a lot of time during the summer in a local apartment complex and just built relationships, saw salvations, had folks join our church. God did great things through that. Uh, in 2024, our uh, theme is this idea. Are you ready? It is equipped for service, sent Uh, with purpose. Equipped for service, sent with purpose. All right, I want you to say it with me. Equipped for service, sent with purpose. One more time. Equipped for service and sent with purpose. This year, this year's theme really invites our church into a season of equipping where as individuals and as a church, as individuals we receive what's necessary for our calling and dedicate ourselves fully to a higher purpose that God has for your life and for my life. And that higher purpose is that you don't exist for you, but in fact you exist for the glory of God that looks like declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ in the community and around the world. That's why you exist, for the glory of God. And this year we're going to spend time focusing on being equipped for service. This church's focus will be on preparing us spiritually and practically to serve with devotion and purpose in our community and around the world. Throughout this year, uh, we will have classes and activities and, and emphasizing that preparation that's foundational to this uh, service. Now, here are a few things that don't change. We are not going to take our goals and make them all inward our goal is always outside the walls because jesus's goal is always outside these walls Uh, the church does not exist for the sake of the church the church exists for the sake of the kingdom it exists for the sake of souls and i don't know if you remember but jesus left the 99 to go after the one and there's lots of ones around us lots of them And so we exist to do that. This year, though, we'll spend time being equipped for service and sent with purpose. And I think all of us would probably agree that God has created us for that service. To serve Him. We're created by God for God. And God gives us His Holy Spirit to enable us to live out His will for His glory. That's why He created us. I think we'd all agree with that. And our mission statement as a church will remain the same to help every person become a more devoted disciple of Jesus. And our three strategy D points are to declare the gospel, disciple the believer, and deploy the church. And that's exactly what we will continue to do. We believe, though, listen to me and lean in real close, that although God is loving and kind and gracious and merciful, that His love, kindness, grace, and mercy are only shown to a specific group, or I should say experienced by a specific group of people. And what I mean by that is salvation is given only to those who will trust in the name of Jesus. God desires none to perish, but only those who come to faith in Christ will experience the blessings of salvation. And we want every person to experience the blessings of salvation. Amen? We're gonna try it out again. We want every person to experience the blessings of salvation. Amen. Amen. See, Jesus says in John 3, unless a man's born again, he cannot inherit the kingdom of God. John 14:6, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Acts 4:12 says, There is. There's salvation in no one else. There is no other name given under heaven among men uh, by which we must be saved. See, salvation is only through Jesus. And Paul says it very clearly. There's one mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus. And so since the Scriptures agree that there's only one way of salvation, it's our responsibility to tell people about that one way of salvation. And I want you to begin to experience and feel the weight of the urgency of Christ's imminence. His second coming is closer than ever. I don't know when it's going to happen. Neither do you. But let me tell you, lots of people are going to be caught off guard and not ready. And we exist that, that no person would ever stand at the judgment seat of Christ and look and say, I lived in the shadow of Seneca Baptist and nobody ever told me. Are you, you with me? And so I want you to leave 2024 with the idea, you say, I know what God has called me to, and I'm equipped to take the front lines to deploy out of the church to declare the gospel and disciple those who trust Jesus. That's what our goal is for you, that we would be equipped for service and sent with purpose. Church family, are you with me? Okay, now let me get into our story. Okay, in our story... We see um, something very interesting, and so let me give you a little bit of context here. Elisha, not Elijah, but Elisha is Elijah's uh, 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 forerunner. He came after Elijah, not forerunner, whatever the post is. Okay, came after him. All right, he is. He was Elijah's disciple, and as Elijah is being taken up into heaven, just before he does, uh, Elijah asked Elisha a question. What, what would you ask of me? What can I do for you? And e- Elisha says very boldly, he says, whatever spirit is on you, the Holy Spirit that's on you, I want a double portion of it. Do You remember that? And, and Elisha Elijah says to Elisha, listen, that's not mine to give, but here's how you can know that you're going to receive it or not. If you see me going up into heaven... If you see that, then trust that God will give you that double portion that you've asked for. And so Elisha, the the disciple of Elijah, sees Elijah being taken up into heaven in a fiery chariot, basically. And God puts on Elisha the Spirit of God in double measure. And Elisha is a prophet, just like Elijah was, in godless days. Does that feel familiar? A prophet of God in godless days. Now here's the problem we get to in verse 1. Verse 1 says, Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha. Okay, so there were other prophets. Remember, God told Elijah that he would uh, protect uh, a remnant of prophets for himself who had not bowed the knee to false gods, and he had protected them. So this is one of the wives of one of those men. He says, your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant, he, feared the Lord. Maybe she's who she's talking about. But, she says, the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. So this is a problem that we come to. We come to this fact, there's a widow, of a prophet, and, and she does not have enough money for some reason or another to live on, and so she puts herself in debt to a creditor. And this creditor is ruthless, not a God-fearing creditor. And the creditor is coming to this widow and saying, if you don't pay me what you owe me, I'm taking your two children to be my slaves. That's a problem, isn't it? And so, she comes to Elisha with this problem, and there's a solution. Look at verse 2. We'll read verses 2 through 4. And Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? I love what happens here in this passage. Now, Elisha doesn't say, well, go over there and get all this stuff that you don't currently have, but what do you have? Um, Will you trust me with what you have? If you tell me what you have, we'll use what you have to make the ends meet. It, It reminds me of a story in the New Testament when Jesus saw a crowd of people had compassion on them. Do you remember that? Jesus looks at His disciples and He says to His disciples, y'all feed them. The disciples look at each other and go, you're crazy. It would take almost 200 days' wages to feed all these people just a couple bites. And they're going to go away hungry. You remember Jesus' question, what do you have? And they beat up this little boy and steal his lunch. I'm just kidding, that's not in there. This little boy comes forward and willingly says, i got five loaves and two fishes. And Jesus says, I'll take what you have. And if you'll give me what you have, if you'll trust me with what you'll have, I'll make ends meet. This is exactly what we see in this story. See, God has a way of taking what we have and multiplying it. Now, hear me, what I'm not saying is is the same as a prosperity preacher i'm not saying that if you'll give god a dollar he'll multiply it and give you back 10 i'm not saying that because the new testament is filled with people who were poor and jesus in fact says blessed are the poor in spirit he says "It's better to be poor in this world than rich in this world it's hard for a rich man to get into heaven so i'm not Saying, I'm I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel, but what I'm saying is that God has a way of taking what we have and multiplying it. Using it in ways that we could never imagine that God could use the little that we have. That's an incredible thought. But before the multiplication happens in this story, in the loaves and the fishes, we have to take the little that we have and we've got to entrust it into the hands of God. And before God can do what only He can do, we've got to relinquish control of what we feel like might belong to us. We've got to surrender whatever it is to the Father. And if we will surrender... Whatever it is, whatever we have, whatever the little is that we bring to him, if we'll surrender it to him, God will take it and use it in ways beyond our wildest dreams. Isn't that good news? Have you ever thought to yourself, I just don't have much to offer God. I don't have many skills. I'm not a great public speaker. I can't carry a tune in a bucket. What do I have to offer God for service? And God would say, if you'll bring me what you have, I'll use it in ways that you can't imagine. I will blow your mind. Because God does not need your skill. He does not need your, your overflow or your abundance. He needs whatever you have. If you'll offer it to Him, He'll use it in great big ways. God has given this lady everything that she needs to accomplish His will for her in her life. And likewise, church family, God has given us everything that we need for Him to accomplish His will in our lives and in our church. Listen to what he says. Verse 3, "...go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors." Borrow vessels from all your neighbors. Now, don't forget that uh, at this time in history, there has been a famine. So so this lady is going to go to all her neighbors and borrow vessels. Borrow them. Now, can you imagine how that conversation went? Hey, I need to borrow... You got any extra vessels laying around? Jars, pots, pans? I don't care what they are. You got any laying around? What are you going to do with them? I don't know. I was just told to borrow vessels, and so I'm being obedient to what I was told. Borrow vessels. What does he say? What does he call them? Empty vessels. Empty vessels. God has the tendency to use what has first been emptied out. There was a quote that I remember from seminary. And the quote, I can't remember, maybe Oswald Chambers, but it says this, It's the comradeship of God is made up of men who know their poverty. For God can do nothing with the man who thinks he's of any use to God. I'm going to say that again. The comradeship or the friendship of God is made up of men who know their poverty. God cannot use the one who thinks he's of any use to God. You know, in the Bible... God rejects the firstborn time and time again, reminding us that he does not choose the one that we expect to be chosen. He does not use the one that everybody thinks. Oh, Saul, he looks like a king. Of course, Saul makes perfect sense. God says no. You remember the shepherd boy that's hiding in the baggage? Let's go get him. He's just a little squirt. Yep. And he's going to take down a giant. Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And the prophet Isaiah says he didn't look like anything. God has a way of using empty vessels. You look at the New Testament. The apostles, for goodness sake, are all broken, battered men. Fishermen, tax collectors, the women, prostitutes. And Jesus uses them in profound ways. He has a tendency to use what has been emptied out first. And the problem with some of us is our hands are so full of ourselves and of what we think we ought to do that God can't use us because our hands are full. We're full of what we think that God could do. But what could God do You are the church of empty vessels. He says, go out, borrow vessels, empty ones, and not too few. Not too few. That's an important phrase. Not too few. That shows a measure of faith. Now, if you were commanded to go out and get vessels, you'd go, well, how many do I need? Right? I need to know my quota, God. How many am I supposed to go out and get? He doesn't tell her. He just says, not too few. Why? Because we might have a tendency to say, well, I had two. I got six now. Is that enough? That's enough. That's got to be enough. And we kind of put a limit on what God can do. I know you would never imagine to put a limit on what God can do in your life or in His church. But often we limit God based on what we expect Him to do, or what we think He can do, and the way that He has tended to work in our lives. Not too few. We're showing, she is showing her measure of faith in what she's going and collecting. And essentially what he says is, if you will prepare the vessels, borrow vessels, empty them out, and not too few of them, If you will prepare them, I'll fill them. She had to get ready. She had to be equipped. She had to be prepared. And there was a season of equipping and preparation. Now, I don't know if it was five minutes, 35 minutes, three days, a week. I don't know how long it took her to prepare, but she had to get prepared because God wanted to do something in her life that only God could do. God wanted to reveal himself. To this little widow, in a way that only God could get the glory. So, what happens? Look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, She went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons, and she poured, and as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. So, she's got this one jar of oil and empty vessels all over the house, and she begins to pour. She said, all right, bring me another one. Can you just imagine? She's pouring. Bring me another one. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Come on. Another vessel and another vessel and another vessel. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. Verse 6, when the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there's not another. There's not another. And what happened? Then the oil stopped. Flowing. So they go in. They shut the door. It's just her and her two sons. And, and, and so she and her children are filling these vessels. She's pouring. They're bringing vessels to her. I need another vessel. We don't have another vessel. The oil ran out. What an amazing story. What an amazing story that this one jar of oil, God multiplied it. So that that one jar of oil filled every vessel that she could get her hands on, and the moment that the vessels ran out, the oil ran out. What a story! Now, here's my deep theological question for you. All right, you ready? Wake up, put your theology hat on. What would have happened if she would have prepared more vessels? The oil wouldn't have ran out. If she'd have prepared more vessels, maybe the oil would not have run out. Look at me, listen to me. Sometimes we get what we expect to get. You get out of church sometimes what you expect to get out of church. Have you ever woken up on the wrong side of the bed? Not you not this morning of course you came to church you might have been drugged to church you got to church and you had a grump mood the whole time the songs were bad the preacher was long and you didn't get much out of it you ever you ever left church that way come on sinners repent right now all of us could say that i sat in many a service where i went home and i was like well Maybe you are woken up, met with the Lord. You got yourself prepared. You're expecting God to do something. You show up and guess what? The preacher was long and bad. The music wasn't all that great. And God shows up. Isn't it funny how we sometimes get what we expect? I, I can't remember how many years ago there were some of the leaders of Seneca Baptist Church and I were sitting in my little conference room in my office and we were walking through a, a Blackaby book called Flickering Lamps about experiencing the presence of God. And I said, okay men, how, do, how, do our, um, how does our church family do at experiencing the presence of God? And, and Mr. Ken Varner, Pastor Ken Varner, he's a missionary for 30 plus years in Taiwan and pastored in... Um, uh, Jackson, South Carolina, and somewhere in the western Alabama, Pastor Ken Varner, he said, we're not very good at it. I said, why? He said, three reasons. Now, I'm just going to share one of them with you today because it's pertinent. He says, because we don't expect to meet with God when we come to church. We just expect to come. We, we get what we expect. And one curse of the church is that, what, is that we get what we expect God to do. And if we've come to check a, a spiritual checklist and have a service, and, 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 and maybe if we expect as a church maybe for God to save one or two people this year, maybe we expect for God to help us just exist and make it financially and squeak by as a church. Really, we don't want to try anything real hard, but we're just expecting God to, to just do a little bit. And, and if we expect to take care of this big old build until Jesus comes back, then guess what? We're going to get what we expect. But what if you expected God to do more? I read this morning in Matthew 7, Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. James goes on and says, You have not, because you what? Ask not. And we get what we expect. But Ephesians 3 reminds us that God is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. Isn't that good news? What if we expected God to do more, more than we could fathom, more than we could hold? What if we expected and asked and sought and knocked on the doors of heaven saying, God, I've prepared more vessels, and so I'm asking that you fill them? What if, church? I'm not a name it and claim it guy, but I am a guy who believes that God is bigger than we can comprehend him to be. And God desires more than you and I could ever desire to save the nations. God is far more urgent than we are. Equipped for purpose or for service, sent with purpose. Now just imagine the lady. All right, I prepared the vessels, I got the oil, what now? She's got all this oil sitting around her house. What do I do? He had not said yet. Verse 7. She came and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest. Now, I want you to understand, what's the first word that the prophet says to the lady? Go. (laughs) Go. In other words, there was a commissioning, a sending, a deploying. I have not done this so that you can keep the oil to yourself confined to the safety of your own home. I've done this so you can go out. What I did inside your house is not intended to stay inside your house. It's intended to go. I have, listen, I have now saved you And your children from slavery, go tell somebody what I did for you. Does that sound familiar? That's exactly what Jesus did for us. He paid our debts to a wicked debtor or creditor, He paid our debts that we owed to save us from the slavery that we put ourselves into. And when Jesus rises from the dead, before he ascends to the Father, what's he say? Go. Equipped for service, sent with purpose. People don't, can't you just imagine people going, Susie, where'd all this oil come from? You're not going to believe what God did. God says to this sweet little lady, I've given you a testimony. And what I've done in your life will now be a blessing and increase the faith of others in the days ahead. So here, let me turn it on us. Here's the theme for our church. Equipped for service. Equipped for service. Let Let me take this and make it really practical and lay out some plans, okay, for this year. So now, Equipped for service. Now, let me just say, we as the church have turned the purpose of the church upside down on its head. Okay, here's what I mean by that. What I mean by that is the same thing that we sometimes do in our homes um, where, where, where I have a little boy who might be learning how to tie his shoes. Does that ever happen in your home? Now, in a hurry, you can do two things. You've already taught little Johnny to tie his shoes. So in a hurry, you have the tendency, well, let me just tie and get it over with. Come on, let's go. I'll just do it for you. Or you can sit there and patiently coach little Johnny to tie your shoes. Good job, buddy. No, remember, two bunny ears. Whoop, what is it? Whoop it and swoop it and pull it, right? Whatever it is. However you taught little Johnny to tie his shoes. Now, the church has become in these days providers of religious entertainment and services the church has become a place for my needs to be met where i come and i consume and i'm entertained and i leave and i go home and i'm pleased with the service we even word it that way why do we call it a service it's not for you to be served it's for you to serve and worship in such a way that not you're pleased but that he's pleased We've turned this on its head. But the Scriptures have no place for that kind of church. So Ephesians 4, 11-13 says it this way. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds and teachers. Why? Look at this phrase. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. What did He give leaders for? To do it? Johnny, just get out of the way. I'll tie your shoes. For goodness sakes. No, to equip. So that the body of Christ will be built up. What happens? And if, if we will equip the saints for the work of ministry, if we'll equip the saints for the building up of the body of Christ, what's going to happen? What's the result? Look at it. Until we all Attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God until what happens? To mature manhood. Maturity happens. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We can't tie little Johnny's shoes forever. The church is not meant to be a place where there's a select few that do the work, but rather there are Pastors and leaders who equip the body for the work of service, for the ministry, for the building up of the body. And when we tie little Johnny's shoes at church, churches like this have trained Christians to remain in immaturity. Just imagine your little Johnny is now 40 and he's got kids. And in the morning, every morning, he calls and he says, Mom, can you come tie my shoes? You go, that is ludicrous. And in a similar manner, in a similar manner, churches have done that, where we have trained people to be completely dependent on a select few rather than equip people so that they can become producers in the church. And as a good parent, i got to teach my children to tie their shoes and, and not just teach them how, but I make them do it. we got to provide opportunities to tie their shoes. And the church is designed to do the same thing, to equip members of the body to fulfill their God-given design. And that's each one of you. And some of us, we are sitting on the sidelines. Mom and dad are tying your shoes spiritually still. Equipped for service, sent with purpose. What's what's the prophet say? Elisha says, Go. What's Jesus say? Go. As the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. John 17. Acts 1:8 You'll be my witnesses. Matthew 28: Go and make disciples. Follow me, Matthew 4, and I'll make you fishers of men. What God has done in you is not intended to stay in you or to stay with you alone. You don't light a lamp and put it under a basket. What do you do? You set it on a table in the middle of the room, and the lamp gives light to the whole room. That's your intended design. You're the light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. So here are our priorities for this year when it comes to equipping for service, sending with purpose. Now I'm going to start with the sent with purpose. So give, let, me give you, let me give you three buckets, and I, I got three little blue uh, uh, boxes up there, Mr. James. Can you go to those? All right, sent with purpose. Think about them this way, three kind of buckets of priorities, equipped for service, and then a support structure. All right. Or let me say it another way. Go to my next slide there, Mr. James. What we want to keep first is we want to keep kingdom focus first. We want to keep the kingdom at the forefront of our minds. you remember what Jesus says in Matthew 6, 33? I'm using a lot of Matthew quotes, huh? But I guess I've been reading the book of Matthew in our Bible reading plan. Matthew 6:33 he says seek first the what the kingdom and its righteousness and all these things will be added to you seek first the kingdom so we want to keep kingdom as our priority outside these walls that is the priority of God's church the second we want to prepare resources and the third thing we want to do is we want to have a support our structure to support the mission a structure to support the mission all right go to my next slide mr james on sent with purpose we want to we want to have an outreach plan and a follow-up plan. Okay? So we're going to put that together and we're going to provide opportunities. So community outreach, what is Seneca Baptist going to do this year to reach this community for the gospel? God has placed our church right where it is to reach a certain demographic of people and we want to do it. We want to be faithful to the mission. Amen. So what's that look like? How do we follow up with them when we get a name? What are we going to do? How are we going to reach out to them? How is somebody going to know that we love them and so does Jesus? So community outreach, follow-up plan. We're going to provide mission trips for you this year. We've got a vision trip that we're planning for the end of February. I know that's quick. To the country of Panama in Central America. I've got four available spots. I'm going. If you want to go with me to Panama in the end of February, come see me. We're going to provide those. We're looking to a mission trip to Senegal in the fall, which is West Africa, where our parish family lives and labors. We're going to look to that in the fall. Second thing, we want to provide a discipleship path. So, how do I get somebody into the church, into a small group Bible study? How do I get them into the Word and into serving God's church? What does that look like? What steps do we take? We want to have a plan for that. So if you're in business, you might call that assimilation, onboarding. We want to have that kind of process for our church that we know what's next. And when we talk about, we've got four for equip for service. Equip for service. The first, priority go on mr james the we with the first priority i didn't change it on here is number five new classes new classes we're going to provide some new sunday school classes we'd like to start a college and career class because we need that demographic right here at seneca baptist and and our our college campus that exists 10 miles from us desperately needs the gospel so we need to see what we can do to reach that group of people. I've got a meeting in the next couple weeks with Peter Hyatt, who is the leader of the Baptist Collegiate Ministry, and maybe he can help us see what that looks like. Singles. We want to reach singles. We've got lots of singles. Single moms, single dads, newly single, I don't know. Singles. How do we reach singles in these days ahead? New classes and groups. How to share the gospel. How to share my testimony in two minutes or less. We want to equip you for service. Christianity 101. I've met Jesus, and we've had 21 baptisms this past year. So we have, if you've just met Jesus, what does following Jesus look like? We want to have a class just for you. We're doing a marriage course. Dan and Whitney are leading that in fe- starting in February. Following the marriage course, we've got a course that we're planning called Financial Peace. Which is about how we can, uh, in a godly way, steward his resources that he's entrusted to us for his glory. And Christopher, uh, Pastor Christopher, and Miss Ray are going to be leading that together. I think that's starting in April. We've got the children's wing. This is one of those vessels that I think we need to prepare we got a children's wing upstairs. It's, uh, the, the paint's a little wearing down. It's a little dated. And we want to update that area and prepare it for the children that we believe that God's going to bring to Seneca Baptist Church. The activity center. It's just down the hill. We want to make that space com- Completely usable because we believe that on Wednesday nights we're going to outgrow our fellowship hall for Bible study and dinner. We're we're almost there. And we want to have a space that we can go to to grow and flourish. We want to make the upstairs usable space. We want to paint the downstairs. And for goodness sakes, we really would like to update the bathrooms can I get a witness? <laughs> the sixth one there, we, we just like to be excellent in everything that we do. We've struggled with that. Some things we've done extremely well. Other things we've done have not been extremely well. And so we want to, if we're going to do it, we're going to make the decision to do it to the best of our ability. It might not seem like a big deal for you, but it's a big deal. And the last priority falls in the third bucket is about a a structure, a support structure. In 2024, we will be working toward a new church structure. For the health of our church, we want to have the most biblical church structure that we can, and we want to have the most functional church structure That we can. And so your deacons uh, and your pastors have been laboring at that task for a handful of months already. And um, there will be other groups involved in that in the days ahead. And you will be involved in that in the days ahead. Those are seven priorities. I feel like seven's a good number. God does a lot in sevens. All right, so here's why we, here's why, okay? Because we believe that if we will equip the vessels and ask God to use us, then He will fill the vessels with oil. If we'll prepare them, He will fill them. So, I'm going to ask you today to join me in a simple prayer. I'm going to read it and then we're going to pray it because I want you to if you're going to join me and I want you to know what I'm asking you to join me in, okay? Here's the prayer that I want you to pray with me in just a moment. Lord Jesus, I'm willing to grow if you're willing to grow me. I'm willing to be equipped for service if you're willing to send me with purpose. In 24 May I become a more devoted disciple of Jesus in 2024. May I abide in you that I might bear much fruit. That's the prayer that I'm asking you to pray. Now, I hope that every one of you says, gosh, I want that for my life. Maybe this past year was not so fruitful for you. Maybe your past many years have not been so fruitful. If you will surrender yourself, all that you are, to the best of your ability to Jesus, King Jesus will use you again. So would you stand with me? We're going to pray this prayer. I'm going to say it. You can just meet with the Lord right there in your chair. Respond to the Lord. Maybe today as you're praying, you say, I need to be saved. I I want you to get out of your seat and come meet me in just a moment. As we sing a closing song, I want you to come meet me and I want to help you meet Jesus. Jesus. Maybe you want to come down to the altar this morning as we sing, and you just want to say, yes, Lord, I'm willing. Help us, Lord. We need you. Fill us, Lord. We want you. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I'm willing to grow if you're willing to grow me. I'm willing to be equipped for service if you will send me with purpose. May I become a more devoted disciple of Jesus in 2024. May I abide in you. The vine, that I might bear much fruit for you. Lord Jesus, we want to just surrender ourselves as empty vessels this morning. Empty, broken, cracked vessels. But the good news of the gospel is, is that we don't have to have it all together to be useful in your service. But in fact, you call us jars of clay. Earth and vessels, and we're, we're brittle, and when we crack, when we crack, we, we leak out the gospel. That's our desire. Fill us that we might leak out oil, the oil of God, this gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, I, I pray for each individual in this church that they might surrender themselves to Your hands, that we might take all that we are, this season of life that we are, and, and place it in Your hands. That we might lay our church in your hands. That we might stop seeing service as what we get, but service as what we give to King Jesus. What are we bringing? Father, I pray that you would empty our vessel, this, this building, and fill it with the souls of the redeemed. Fill it with the tax collector and the prostitute. Fill it with those who are far from you. Fill it with people who need you. From every tribe and nation and language. Fill it with the single and the married couple, the family. Fill it with the widow and the widower. Fill it with people who long to meet with God. And Lord, Do it for your glory. Please, we pray. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, you respond if you'd like.